sports? Do you like beer? Do you love sports and beer? Then you're exactly where you need to be. This is the Huge Views and Brews Show on 1252 Sports Chicago. Cheers. How is everyone doing on this wonderful Monday night? I hope you're all doing well, it's uh, my kind of weather the last couple of days, 70s, low 80s. Oh, gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, the baseball on the field wasn't that great on Saturday and Sunday. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Welcome out into Hubes Views and Brews on the uh, 1252 Sports Chicago uh, platform. Again, you can always find us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitch.tv. You can also uh, listen to us on Spotify, uh, usually the day after our podcasts, and check them out there, and it's a perfect place to find them. If you missed one, you missed a couple, I've had a chance to talk to uh, brewery owners from uh, Black Horizon, Skeleton Key, um, a lot of different places, Goldfinger Brewing, and um, so you can check them out there. Spotify has the audio, driving through your car, listening to Hubes Views and Brews, that'd be nice uh, on Spotify. Um, last week I had mentioned I wasn't drinking beer because I was, uh, my heart was in AFib, atrial fibrillation, which basically means you're having a regular heartbeat. Well, I got that taken care of. I, uh, went to the doctor, went to, um, saw my doctor. They do a thing called a cardioversion. So on Tuesday they sedate you, give me a big bruise on my arm. Still got it here. If you're on watching us on TV and, um, then as soon as they put you under, they shock your heart back into rhythm. So I'm 100%. I'm in proper rhythm. And um, that's a good thing. They tell me. Uh, again, I don't feel it when I'm out of rhythm. But uh, I wasn't drinking beer until I got back into rhythm. So I had a beer yesterday at the uh, Chicago Fire game. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I know my brother Timmy is saying, please don't talk about it too much. Uh, but come on. I, I like soccer. I'm that guy. I'm the guy. I'm that one friend of yours that likes soccer. If someone says, you know anybody that likes soccer? You say, yeah, Fred. Fred likes soccer. That's it. But I do have beers. And later on today, we're going to be talking with Josh Noel. And Josh did the book called Barrel Age Stout and Selling Out. It's about how Goose Island became what Goose Island became and then how they sold to Anheuser-Busch. And uh, so we'll have him on. And I figured since Josh was going to be on, we will, I was going to drink one of my Bourbon County Stouts. Now, I have a tendency to hold on to my Bourbon County Stouts a little bit long. <clears throat> so it was going to be between the proprietors from 2019. The proprietors is a uh, wonderful, wonderful, one of my favorites, actually, every year, the proprietors. I did not get any of them this past year, which aggravated me a little bit. So um, none of them this year. But this one is a 20. 19 and it says develops in the bottle for up to five years so i'm good i can let this one sit right and i also have i found this one in the door of my refrigerator and it is a bourbon county from 2014 okay it says stout aged in rye whiskey barrels with vanilla beans added um real whole vanilla beans develops for up to five years in the bottle 
13.6 alcohol by volume. Now, I know I could drink this and it's going to be awesome. The proprietors I'm holding up right now. But I'm going to take a shot because I can't wait much longer for this one. Okay, so this Bourbon County Stout is one I'm going to open up. And it's been in the fridge. I took it out for a while. Let's Oh, it smells like it's really good. It smells like Bourbon County Stouts. Um, Black Friday is when the Bourbon County Stouts are released. And this smells very, very tasty. A vanilla with uh, rye bourbon barrels. Or rye barrels. I know. I screw up when I talk about bourbon because I'm not a bourbon drinker. Uh, it's amazing. I'm going to pour this whole thing in this glass. Oh, yeah. Okay. This will be a wonderful show. Hopefully, I can. there's still some left in this uh, hefty bottle of vanilla rye bourbon county stout smells wonderful i would say you can smell the rye if carmen defalco is uh, watching he can he'd be able to sniff it and tell you exactly what he smelled ah i can taste the vanilla a lot um a lot of vanilla in that that is very very good a vanilla rye bourbon county stout 2016 if um you had one of these i'm enjoying it now and it tasted very very good um sorry you drank yours earlier i have mine right now so let's talk some sports before we get into beer talk with uh, josh noel about 7 35 okay the chicago bears played their first exhibition game preseason game the the nfl hates when you call them exhibitions they like when you call them preseasons because they charge the same amount of money to get into the games. Oh, I could have just blown my what's up, Fred's can. Well, we'll save it. We'll, we'll get to that. I think last week I talked about exhibition games. We'll get into more of it later on in the show. So the first preseason game, and the reason a lot of people watched it was because we were getting the chance to see Justin Fields, the quarterback the Bears drafted out of Ohio State who a lot of people would love to see take over and start right now. Start from Jump Street. I've never been on Jump Street. Um, but start from Jump Street. Start from get-go. Right off the bat, start Justin Fields. The Bears, Matt Nagy says, we're not doing that. We've got Andy Dalton, a veteran quarterback, who's going to lead our team, hopefully, for the whole season. And Justin Fields will learn how to be a quarterback in the NFL by playing and learning behind Andy Dalton. So, in preseason football, the teams usually do not run a, a lot of different plays. They don't want to show a lot or any of that stuff. No trick plays, runs up the line, average throws to the tight end and things like that. So, the first two offensive possessions, Andy Dalton, three and out, three and out. And then Justin Fields comes in. He goes three and out three straight times. So, you're watching the game. Miami Dolphins have a couple of field goals. They get a touchdown. They have a nice little lead. And the Bears aren't doing anything offensively. And then near the end of the first half, Justin Fields gets them to move the ball. Just enough so that Cairo Santos comes in and kicks a 53-yard field goal at the half, and the Bears have three points. Now, I pause my quarterback talking for one second to tell you, isn't it nice to have a kicker and not have to worry about it? I mentioned this on ESPN 1000 on Sunday when I was working with Mark Zander. There was nothing more frustrating two years ago in sports radio than talking about kickers. The Bears didn't have one. They needed them. They needed a kicker. Cody Parkey had let him down before that. 
And all we talked about in the preseason was who's the kicker going to be? Who's the kicker going to be? It would have been nice if we said, how are you going to get turnovers? Because after 2018, when the Bears had 36 turnovers, they stopped getting the ball. They stopped taking the ball away. And because of that, the Bears' defense, after finishing first in takeaways in 2018, fell down to the 20s in both 2019 and 2020. But don't worry about kickers right now because Cairo Santos is the Bears' kicker. He comes in, kicks a 53-yarder at the half. The Bears have three points. So that is nice. That would be very, very nice. Now, hey, shout out to Bob Newsom, a good old friend, telling me to head on out to Bloomington to a place called The Still. I'll get out there. I'm a traveling guy. I like to travel once in a while. I actually may be going to Elk Grove Village this uh, Friday. So maybe you never know where I may find another sip of this um, Bourbon County vanilla rye. It's very tasty. So second half, Justin Fields, he's making some things happen with his feet. He's slipping past oncoming rushers and throwing the ball. Finishes the game 14 for 20, 142 yards. He gets a touchdown pass to Jesse James, the tight end. The Bears picked up after he was uh, let go by the Steelers, I think it was. And nice to see. Jesse James was wide open. I mean, Justin Fields was the easiest throw he made. Fields also running five times for 33 yards. He had an eight-yard touchdown run. It was very nice to see. Nice to see Justin Fields get out there. He said after the game that the speed of the game was actually slower than he had expected, and he credited playing against the Bears' defense in practices. A lot of people have taken that one comment and kind of took it to Justin Fields, saying, you better watch it, better watch what you're saying. People are going to be gunning for you after you make comments like that. Listen, the one thing I really like about Justin Fields is one of many. But the one thing that really stands out to me is he's confident, not cocky. He's confident in himself. He, um, during practices, during OTAs, during other things, he said, I'll make a mistake. I'll fix it. I won't make that mistake again. That's what you always expect. As a manager, and I'm even not only a sports manager or a coach, as a manager in the business world, you hope that your employees make who make a mistake, make that mistake once and learn from that mistake. and. Justin Fields sounded like he's that kind of guy. He's going to make a mistake. If he makes a mistake, he'll learn from it and not do it again. So, I mean, every every quarterback's going to throw interceptions. Every quarterback's going to run maybe when he should have thrown the ball or vice versa. Every quarterback may not throw the ball away when he's supposed to. That happens. You got to get used to it. Every quarterback's not going to be perfect. Tom Brady didn't know how many downs there were when he played uh, against the Bears last year. So those things happen. Andy Dalton is going to be the Bears quarterback unless, unless Matt Nagy sees enough in preseason game number two, preseason game number three, and in the practices leading up to the Bears-Rams game on September 12th in Los Angeles. Then, if Matt Nagy sees that, he may go to Justin Fields. I don't think he will. I think he's going to let Andy Dalton be the starting quarterback and see how things play out at the start of the season. The Bears are relying a lot on their defense this year. Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack needs to have a better season. Robert Quinn, who they spent big money on, needs to have a better season. Eddie Goldman, who sat out last year because of COVID and actually got COVID a couple a week or so ago, he's going to be a guy in the middle. They picked up Alec Ogletree to play linebacker, and Ogletree has his first three days, he had four interceptions. 
again, I'm not sure how, what that says about him as opposed to what that says about the Bears quarterbacks throwing the ball in practice. But I'm really excited about the Bears defense. There's three positions I'm concerned. Well, actually, the safety position I'm concerned about. And I'm also concerned about the cornerback position. Jalen Johnson is a second-year guy. He was a starter last year. He is the, the Bears' top cornerback right now. And the other cornerback right now, it appears, is going to be either Desmond Trufant, a guy that's been injured over the last several years, has played in three or four different teams, and the Bears signed him in the offseason, or Kendall Vildor, who was a guy the Bears drafted last year. He came in and played some when Jalen Johnson was out last year. Vildor played well. So second-year cornerbacks scare me a little bit with some of the some of the abilities of quarterbacks in the National Football League having two second-year cornerbacks. It's tough when you're saying corner and quarter, and you're drinking a beer that's 13.6%. Um, but having two second-year cornerbacks is not an easy thing to put your defense out there. I like I like Roquan Smith. I like Danny Trevathan. And I love this Alec Ogletree. So we'll see what the Bears are able to do. Sean Desai is the new defensive coordinator. He's been with the Bears for years. Now he gets the top job as the defensive coordinator for this team. Let's see what they can do. Their first game against the Rams, you're going up against Matt Stafford. You're going up against some uh, uh, some decent receivers, a nice running game for the Rams. I'm still in baseball mode. I got to get... I got to get heavy into my fantasy preparation for the fantasy draft for me coming up on September 7th. But um, I'm eager to see the defense play. I think the offense is going to have guys that can catch the ball. Allen Robinson can catch the ball. Darnell Mooney, first year as a number two receiver. He was a number three or four receiver last year and was able to beat people. Now he's going to be a number two receiver. How? What kind of pressure is that going to be on him? Then you also have Demir Bird, who came over from the pod, uh, Patriots. You have Marquise Goodwin, real fast, speedy guy that came over after sitting out a season. He was with the 49ers in the past. So you have some guys, and then they drafted Daz Newsome. So they have guys that can catch the ball. And at the tight end position, I'm excited that they will use Cole Komet. Hopefully, they'll use Cole Komet. Hopefully, Cole Komet holds on to the ball, and they can do that this year. Also, Jimmy Graham, I'm one of them. When Jimmy Graham signed, they signed him for way too much money. I said, how are you going to get production from a guy who played two years at tight end with the Green Bay Packers and only caught five touchdown passes? Jimmy Graham caught nine last year for the Chicago Bears. And now he's coming back, and he likes the way that um, Justin Fields plays. And we'll see how he relates with Andy Dalton. And then I really like Jesse James. No, not the gunslinger. Jesse James, the tight end. The Bears picked him up. He had played with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger to Jesse James. I heard that numerous times in uh, AFC games for the Steelers. And um, good pickup. He scored the touchdown on the ball from Justin Fields the other day. So I'm eager to see how that works out. So I think they have talent. David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, a uh, rookie that's out of Virginia Tech. And um, so they have options on the offensive side. But the defense is going to be, I think, what gets this team over the top. Remember, this is the first year you've got 17 games in the NFL. 17 games. A Facebook user asked, will Nagy run the ball? He said after the game the other day, David Montgomery wanted 15 carries in a preseason game. I think we saw last year what David Montgomery can do when he runs the ball and when they give it to him. And I'm hoping that Matt Nagy decides to throw the ball to Komet 
and run the ball with David Montgomery, because I think both of those are going to be successful for the Bears this season. So I'm looking forward to um, what's going to happen. I don't know how much of the second preseason game I'm going to watch. I may DVR it and then just watch all of the Justin Fields snaps because, um, and maybe the Mitch Trubisky snaps. That's right. Mitchell Trubisky comes in with the Buffalo Bills. We'll see how much he plays for the Bills in their second preseason game this Saturday at Soldier Field, a noon kickoff. Um, there's a lot of questions to be answered by Matt Nagy um, on the offensive side, what he's going to do, how he's going to call plays. He knows he's excited. He knows everybody's excited about what Justin Fields is going to be able to do for the Chicago Bears. Now the question is, how long are we going to have to wait to see what Justin Fields can do? Because once he gets that top spot, once Justin Fields is announced as the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to learn and become, hopefully, the quarterback that the Bears have been looking for for decades. That's right, decades. You've got the Will Fuhrers, the Steve Stenstroms. Oh, my Lord, there's so many of them out there. The Shane Matthews. So many quarterbacks that have gone through the Chicago Bears organization. And it appears Bears fans are excited for the first time in a long time. They have a quarterback that could be a franchise guy and lead this team to success in the postseason. Oh, we're going to get the White Sox right now. Um, let's see what happens. Bob News and my guy says Jimmy Graham will be one of the last cuts. I don't think so. I think he's going to stick around. I know, but he's making money. He's making some money. Maybe that's a reason if they need to because they're not – they don't have tons of money under the salary cap. Again, I'm having my beer in my Showboat Saloon glass. It's the biggest glass I have. It's like 17 and a half uh, ounces. So it's a perfect glass for some of these big beers. And even this one wouldn't fit in it. Um, by the way, this beer was made uh, October 31st, Halloween on uh, 2014. So, and it's very tasty. Let me take another sip before we talk White Sox baseball. Okay, the White Sox and the Yankees played at the Field of Dreams on Thursday. If you've never had a chance to go to the Field of Dreams, you got to go. If you're a baseball fan and a movie fan, you got to go. Just sitting in the bleachers, uh, what, looking at the field that was portrayed in the movie Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, it's an amazing thing to be at. I was there, boy, it has to be 15, maybe 20 years ago uh, with my late wife, uh, Pat. And I, the advice I can give you is if you go, make sure you go with someone that can catch the ball. She's looking down at me right now from, the, from heaven saying, stop telling this story. But anyway, I'm going to tell it one more time. At the Field of Dreams, I'm there. I brought my glove. I brought in the second glove. I said, here, I'm going to flip the ball to you. Just throw the ball to me. I want to catch the ball. Say I'm catching it. I'm standing by third base. I'd flip it to her. She'd catch it. She'd flip it to me. It would go over my head, past me on the left side. I'm running around for it. Could not get it. Um, the one thing I'm hoping to find this week is going to look at some of my old pictures. They're on a flash drive somewhere. But when I was at the Field of Dreams, I took a picture of me walking into the cornstalks. The weird part is I was walking in and turned my head, and it actually looks like I'm peeing on the corn. I'm not. I promise I'm not. I would never do that. I would never deface a place like that, which is holy in the, in the uh, 
you know, for, for sports fans and movie fans alike. But hopefully I can post that picture and find that picture and put it up on Facebook in the next couple of days. Um, Field of Dreams game was great. The pregame was great. I rarely watch baseball game pregames, watch the entire hour. There's a lot of stuff about how they prepared the field, what they had to do to get the field, which was, here's the field, you know, you got the Field of Dreams field from the movie, and you have a huge corn maze in the shape of the MLB logo. And then you have a field, an 8,000-seat field, that the White Sox and Yankees played on last Thursday. And the game was amazing. Uh, we'll get to the game in a second. But just watching Kevin Costner come out of the corn stalks, walk slowly, very slowly, as a matter of fact, towards the infield, and then talk about certain things, about how perfect it was, the movie that was done 30 years ago, and then seeing the players come out of the corn was awesome. It was so cool. The players' uniforms were great. The Yankee uniforms didn't look a whole lot different with New York across their chest. But the White Sox uniforms looked amazing. And then watching Jose Abreu hit the first home run and Eloy Jimenez belting one. And then Aaron Judge. It was a tremendous game. It came down to a great ending. Thank goodness it came down to a good ending. Because the White Sox struggled with the Yankees when they got back to guaranteed rate field on Saturday and Sunday. But after Liam Hendricks gave up two two-run homers, he had given up, let's see, he had blown six saves at that time and given up 10 home runs. Tim Anderson, after a Sebi Zavala walk, Danny Mendick started the inning, grounded out. Sebi Zavala, the White Sox catcher, drew a walk. Without him on first, we're still playing. Eh, we're not still playing four days later, but you know what I mean. Sebi Zavala draws the walk, and Tim Anderson, the first pitch, hits one into the corn stalks in right field, and the fireworks go off. Anderson's going crazy. Sox fans are going crazy. The Yankee fans just had one taken away from them by Tim Anderson. It was great to see. Tremendous, tremendous game. Then they had to come back to guaranteed rate field. Ugh. Why couldn't they play all three games at... Uh, at Field of Dreams. That would have been nice if they would have turned out in favor of the White Sox. The White Sox have had struggles this year beating good teams. The Sox lost three straight to the Yankees in New York. And then they win the Field of Dreams game. Then the Yankees come back to guaranteed rate field Saturday and Sunday. And you're hoping that they can take one or if not both of those games. Well, the White Sox didn't. The White Sox on Saturday night went one for 12 with runners in scoring position. And what do you know? Liam Hendricks gives up another home run. This one in the 10th inning after Craig Kimbrell gave up a home run in the 8th inning. So both of the White Sox, quote, closers give up home runs on fastballs down the middle of the plate. Craig Kimbrell to Aaron Judge and Liam Hendricks to Joey Gallo. Anybody out there that has played baseball, you saw those pitches, and you just said, oh, my God, give me a bat. I could have hit those. Maybe not for home runs, but you would have hit them and made contact because I don't care how hard you throw. If you're throwing a fastball at 98 miles an hour down the middle of the plate, they're going to hit it, and these big leaguers hit it. And that's what they have to worry about. Craig Kimbrell, Liam Hendricks, their best pitch is that fastball, and um, it got rocked by Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo. Hopefully they can do better 
than that. Michael Kopech, watching Michael Kopech at the Field of Dreams, that was fun. Kopech, watching Miguel Cairo, actually, that day, because Tony La Russa had a death in the family. His, his brother-in-law had passed away. Tony was not at the game. So Miguel Cairo left uh, Michael Kopech in to pitch a second inning. It was warm. It was humid. They called it corn sweat. Uh, the corn sweats and adds humidity into the air, making it lighter, believe it or not, for the ball, to, heavy air, but the ball flies further in heavy air. And um, Kopech did very, very well, I thought. And it was nice to see him go out for a second inning. I've been waiting for that, seeing a Michael Kopech go a second inning, seeing a Garrett Crochet go a second inning, even a Ryan Tapera go a second inning. This way, you don't need to use one reliever for each inning. But if you can use relievers based on matchups, that would be the perfect way to do it. Tony La Russa is the godfather of bullpen management, okay? he And I say godfather because he's the guy. He was the one of the guys that started with the one guy for an inning and things like that. And um, I'm eager to see how he's going to be able to deal and handle the bullpen. But when you've got Crochet and Kopech and Tapera and Bummer, who's pitching better, you got to give him credit. He's pitching better. And then Hendricks and Kimbrell. That is seven guys out of the bullpen and five starters. That's 12. You don't need any more, but they're going to have more. Jose Ruiz. You've got Foster or Marshall when he comes back. So this bullpen is going to be a determining factor in what the White Sox do down the stretch. And in the postseason, that's going to be huge. When you get to the postseason, the bullpen is going to be monster. Another sip of the Bourbon County. Can't stay away too long. Got to make sure I keep drinking it. Anyway, the hitting is what's going to, is what's concerning me. Okay. One for 12 with runners in scoring position on Saturday night. You had opportunities. You had guys on base. You got to drive them in. And the White Sox can't rely on Jose Abreu to do everything. Tim Anderson needs to get hot again. And I don't know what's wrong with Juan Moncada. Yohan Moncada has been struggling for weeks, and he's got to be the guy that drives in runs, right-handed, left-handed, whatever it is. He's got to be the guy. And Larusa has done everything with him. He's dropped him in the order from two to three to four to five to six. He's taken him and put him as a DH. He's trying to give him every opportunity he can to connect, to try to figure it out, and he's just not getting there. And that's really frustrating. Eloy Jimenez is coming back. He has seven or eight two-hit games. Very, very good. Love to see it. He's actually playing better in left field. Scares you every time the ball goes there, but he's playing better in left field. Luis Robert, he's a guy that's not going to hit for a high average, but he's going to be able to get on base. He's going to play a tremendous center field, and he can hit the long ball. We've seen that already. He hit, He's hit the long ball. and um, But... They need to get the guys on base. They need to be able to bring them home. And that's one of the things they've been struggling with over the last several games. Okay, but one other thing about baseball, and uh, one other thing actually about um, the White Sox, and that is good news for Carlos Rodon. They looked at his shoulder that was bothering him. They said, just soreness. So apparently after his 10 days or whatever off the injured list are over, he'll be able to come back and get back in the rotation. Carlos Rodon's the guy they need. Um, I was just on another podcast, the Mikey Betts podcast, and he asked me the rotation for the playoffs. And I said, Lynn, Rodon, Giolito, 
and then probably Cease or Keuchel because you, I can't imagine bringing Keuchel out of the bullpen. He's not a fastball guy, so Cease might be the guy in the bullpen, and Keuchel might be your number four if you need a number four in the postseason. But otherwise, it's Lynn, Rodon, and Giolito. And I know Giolito threw a lot of pitches Sunday against the Yankees, only won four innings because he threw so many pitches, but uh, we'll see how that thing goes. Okay, I was going to talk a little bit of Cubs. They're losing uh, today. They've lost a bunch of games in a row, and they are 10-35, and 35, I think it is, since that combined no-hitter against the Dodgers. I know they made a lot of trades. Frank Schwindel, 28, 29-year-old guy, looking good. Rafael Ortega in center field looks nice. They need some more pitching. They need a lot of things. Um, they've only spent about – they only have about $47 million on the payroll for next year, so they're able to spend. The question is, how are you going to be able to get guys – that are good talents to come to Chicago and play for the Cubs when you don't, you're not ready to win for a few years down the road. One guy that's not worried too much about money is Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles. Chris Davis, big power hitting first baseman, designated hitter for the Baltimore Orioles, is not playing anymore, hanging him up. But he was nice enough when he signed his last big deal Nice enough, I say, with a chuckle and a smile on my face. He was nice enough to distribute his money. Not, not as good as Bobby Bonilla, but pretty damn good. I got the numbers here. The Orioles owe Chris Davis $65 million. So next year, when he's not playing, sitting at home, wherever at home is for Chris Davis, he'll make twenty-two. He'll make $23 million. This is next year in 2022. In 2023, 24, and 25, he'll get $9.16 million each of those years. In 2026 through 2032, he will get a check or a direct deposit, I guess, for $3.5 million each of those years. And from 2033 through 2037, he will make $1.4 million. So over the next, let's see here, we're in 2021 through 20. 37. So over the next 16 years, he's going to make $65 million for not playing. I've always said, people said, well, I want my money now. I never quite understood that. I've always said, you know what? If someone owes me money and I know it's coming my way, I'd rather have that. I'll have what I have and deal with the money that's coming in. Chris Davis knows he's got $65 million coming in. His only thing is staying healthy. That's my thing, too. I've mentioned this numerous times to my girlfriend, Linda, and she got concerned when I had the irregular heartbeat and things like that. But I'm 64. I'll be 65 next year. And my only concern in life right now, well, I more than only, I've got a couple. But my biggest concern in life is just staying healthy, just being able to live out life and enjoy life and have fun over the next however many years. I don't think I want 30 years. I don't want to be 95 unless I'm 95 and spry and jumping around and getting around and not driving. A lot of people wish I didn't drive now. But anyway, um, good for Chris Davis. Chris Davis was one heck of a ball player, and it was nice to see he got his money. The Orioles paid him the money. They made the offer to him, and uh, so he gets that. Okay, a little bit of soccer. Timmy, if you're watching – 
That's Timmy's my brother. If you're watching, just stick with me for a couple minutes because I got beer talk coming up in just a couple minutes, okay? Um, the Chicago Fire. I went to the Chicago Fire game with my girlfriend, Linda, on Sunday night. The Fire win a one nothing win. Uh, exciting game at the end. I know. 90 minutes, one goal. Exciting game at the end. The Chicago Fire with back-to-back -back wins for the first time this year, okay? So 11 of the next 15 Chicago Fire games are on the road. And one of the reasons is the Chicago Fire decided to play at Soldier Field. And playing at Soldier Field, you've got the Chicago Bears, who are the main um, tenant at Soldier Field. So the Chicago Fire in August so far, August 1st, they had a 1-1 draw with Philadelphia. August 4th, a scoreless tie with the New York New York City FC. Game I was at, 90 minutes to scoreless soccer. On the 8th, they beat the New York Red Bulls by a score of 2-1. And on the 15th, just yesterday, they had a 1-0 win over Columbus. So that's eight points. You get three points for a win, one for a tie, and eight points in the last four games. The Chicago Fire now with back-to-back uh, -back wins, first time this season, and 11 of their next 15 on the road, including the next six games. They play Wednesday night against Inter-Miami. So we'll see how things go for the Chicago Fire. Before we have a chance to talk a little bit of beer news, let's see if we can uh, get one of our sponsors up. And uh, they're very, very nice, and they sponsor our show along with um, the Fat Mike Sports Show and uh, some of the other shows on the station along with not the station, but, you know, the other on the feed, the uh, 1252 Chicago Sports Platform, Fat Mike Show, and also the uh, World's Best Fantasy. I make it the question, the, uh, the term wrong, the title wrong. But if you love fantasy football, you got to tune in on uh, Sundays. Or you can check it out uh, on the 1252 platform as Spaceball. My old buddy from uh, The Score, he is doing a show along with The Mouse and um, Andrew and Tarbell. You got to check out their fantasy show. All of, Everybody that's watching, no doubt, is probably in a fantasy football league. They're giving you all the tips. They're doing mock drafts and everything else. So uh, our sponsors are nice enough to uh, put some money in and it's nice. I Hi, I'm Jonathan Darren, licensed real estate broker with Cobble Banker Real Estate Group in Homer Glen. Are you looking to buy or sell? Have you been disappointed in the past? The Jonathan Darren team with Cobble Banker Real Estate Group focuses on providing you with a concierge level of service during the process of buying or selling. We are a service-oriented team with a fresh and professional approach to selling real estate. Our goal is to combine knowledge, skills, and passion to exceed our clients' expectations, and most of all, we truly care. We are a knowledgeable real estate team focused on offering expertise and innovative solutions for our clients. The Jonathan Darren team has five full-service real estate brokers and a dedicated full-time marketer servicing all of Chicagoland. We will customize a detailed plan around your timeline for a sale, purchase, investment, estate, or other needs. Real estate transactions can be stressful, but don't need to be. Let us handle it for you. Visit our website, homesbyjdt.com, or call 708-308-1938 today. Expect better in real estate. Choose the Jonathan Darren team. Okay, Jonathan Darren and uh, the guys over at his real estate team, check them out. And uh, I'm moving to Lockport. Whenever they put the shovel into the ground, um, I will be headed out that way very, very soon. Um, my uh, first guest, my only guest tonight, is um, a guy that I had a chance to meet a while back. 
And I had been reading his articles, not knowing who he was, and then had the opportunity to meet him. And then he put the book together. It's called Barrel-Aged Out and Selling Out, talking about Goose Island and uh, then how they sold out to uh, Anheuser-Busch. We bring in uh, Josh Noel here from the Chicago Tribune. Josh, how are you tonight? What's up, Fred? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, earlier in the show, I mentioned I had two options since I was having you on. I had a 2014, which I know is a little bit too late to drink it, but it tastes Is that the vanilla rye? Good. Yep, the vanilla yeah. rye. It's very, very tasty. So I didn't open I opened that one. I didn't open the 2016 proprietors I still have. So which one, what, what's in the 2016 prop? I can't remember which is which at this point. I know. I keep looking on the sides. I'm trying to figure out exactly what this one has in it. And I'm looking. I, oh, here it is. Let's see. Toasted coconut, uh, kasha bark, coconut nibs, uh, coconut water, maple. Oh, hold on. 2016. Here it is. Maple syrup. You're right. The chipotle peppers and the cocoa nibs. So yeah, that one was pretty polarizing. Some people were not fond of that one. I'd actually be really curious to see how that one aged. So that that should be fun to open. May taste great or may not. Or not. But, yeah. But that's part six, of the fun of it, right? It is. It, it definitely is. And this one, the the vanilla rye, I've always wanted to get to, but it's one of those things where they're big enough that unless I'm going to be around home all day long, it's 1.6. Um, you know, a pint and then six ounces. So there's a lot there. And I filled up the 17-ounce glass, and I'm just barely touching it now. But uh, it's very, very good stuff. And I was reading your articles from what's coming up for 2021, and it's, it's, shock, it's unbelievable. It was a great article in the Tribune. I got it online and um, checked it out. There's so much good stuff and so much experimental stuff, it seems like. So many different things. And then going back and trying to – redo the 2014 proprietors i thought was an interesting little spin yeah they uh I, I think there's a lot of reason to be pretty optimistic about this year's bourbon county lineup um you know it's one of the the it was a leading light in the entire bourbon barrel aged stout movement i mean mm -hmm. goose island was first to it back in the 90s and now the vast majority of breweries that want to do something ambitious do this so it's a very popular approach to take with your 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 uh your your brewing program at this point bourbon barrel aging um and then but i feel like goose had sort of gotten into this little phase where they were sort of following other people more than continuing to be a leader and now it feels like they're sort of figured out what they're good at and now they're sort of leading again uh and one of the things they're good at is that you know they're owned by anheuser-busch they've got really deep pockets and an incredibly strong marketing network now, and they can just access materials that a lot of other breweries can't. So they get some really sort of neat and and rare barrels that held some pretty cool and rare whiskeys and they're aging beers in that now. And so they've, they've sort of figured out that that's how they can differentiate themselves in the market. And, and they're really sort of leaning hard into that. So there's, I, I think 2021 could be pretty good, good year for Bourbon County. Well, and for those people who did not read the article, yeah, you know, what are you waiting for? But get on over there. But some of the some of the barrels you said you got a hundred uh, the 150th anniversary of the um, Old Forester, also the um, Reserve Blanton Stout for 18 months in that, and um, it's like you said, barrels that a lot of other people probably couldn't get, and they were able to get those. So those it's I did not get any last year, 
And now I cannot wait till till this year, the day after Thanksgiving. Or yeah. you better know someone the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, there. You know, and that that sort of uh, the sport of getting the beer is sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's part of the fun, but it's also part of the marketing for, from the Goose Island perspective. You know, they want people to get all excited about it and to be competing for it. And when those beers pop up on the secondary market at, you know, five, six times the what you pay at, you know, the liquor store. Sure. Uh, that, that's And it's I think it's worth noting, too, that just because of those fancy barrels doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good beer. But as I said in the piece that you're referencing it almost always makes for interesting beer. I don't think it necessarily makes for like the most mind blowing beer right. experience you've ever had, but it's, it's, but it's interesting, you know, and some of them are really, really good. And then others I think are just sort of a neat experiment, you know, um, it's just, I think it's important to keep that in that, that context in mind also. You know, when, when you first, when you first were working on the book and then wrote the book, um, I know there were a lot of people that after, uh, Anheuser-Busch bought Goose Island, a lot of the craft fans were just going crazy because it's like, okay, all of the beers that Goose was making, the 312s and the you know Green Lines, a lot of other things, they're not being made here anymore. But as we've gone along, it seems like Goose here in Chicago has still been able to, with their barrel age, their barrel warehouse and other things, do things like this and still make the bourbon counties and things like that. Um, every business... As they build, their goal is to make money. So ultimately, you know, it worked for them, didn't it? It did. I mean, their their founder, uh, John Hall, started the brewery back in 88 with that that brew pub on Clybourne Avenue, which is still there. It's been remodeled yes. since Anheuser-Busch bought it. It's a great one, too. It's I like it a lot. Oh, it's it was it's it's a Chicago legend. I mean, it's it's yeah. lost a lot of that old charm since it's been yes. redone. But it yes. was it was ground zero of like educating Chicago about what you know beer and craft beer and local beer could be. But yeah, John Hall was a business guy. He started the brewery in his mid forties. He'd already had a first career as a white collar executive, and he wanted to. He saw an opportunity in beer. It wasn't just he loved beer. He did love beer, but he also yes. sensed an opportunity. And he he was a business guy and he, you know, his his instinct was right. And in 2011, 10 years ago, I wrote an article earlier this year in the Tribune, uh, sort of looking back at 10 years since the sale. Um, 2011, he, he sold the company to Anheuser-Busch, the biggest beer company in the nation, biggest beer company in the world. Uh, yeah. So it really it, it wound up, you know, working out ultimately for certainly for John Hall. Good for him. Sold the company for 40 million dollars. So that that's you know it's a version that's of the American nice. dream, right? Yeah. And, and Anheuser Busch got what it needed out of the deal. Uh, but but you know back to sort of your original point, um, you know when Goose Island started, there were three breweries in Chicago. Literally, Goose Island was the third brewery in Chicago. Now in the in the Metro Chicago area, there's like more than two hundred. So there's a, yeah. a lot more competition. Uh, and the truth is, is Goose Island is not sort of the the uh, you know, the kingmaker it once was. It's still kind of the granddaddy, but it's not like the hottest brewery in Chicago by any stretch at this point. But that said, they do work hard to stay relevant and to stay in the, you know, in the mind of the beer drinker. And this Bourbon County stuff is a great example of how they're able to keep, you know, to continue doing that. Um, 
even, you know, as, as they're trying to compete with all these other great breweries in Chicago at this point. I remember back in the day when I first got into this and first started meeting people, I had a chance to meet Ryan Tucker, who was working over at Goose Island. And yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, he's a great guy. And uh, he brought me over there and um, showed me. And then I, I learned um, <clears throat> Todd Osman, who was not at that time the president. And um, I, I was there the day they opened their tap room on Clybourne. And thing. I was there an hour early. Who knew you'd have to wait till two o'clock on a Thursday to drink a beer at your new place? Shame. But um, yeah, but it was it was it was very very nice. But when I was there, it was nice because you had a chance to to meet them. And I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that the people over at Skeleton Key, who I've had on a couple times here mm -hmm. in the podcast, and after the tornado took their roof off and everything else, and now they're jumping around and doing other things. They were at Goose Island this week making a collaboration beer with them. And that's one of the things they're able to do now because their other stuff is brewed elsewhere. And um, I know when I was there, Ryan took me to a place and they gave me like five beers and they just had stickers on them because they were all R&D stuff they were working on, which was very, very cool. Oh, yeah. And I don't think you think about that a lot when you think about breweries. You think they're just cranking out the regular beers, but they're always, even though their other beers are elsewhere, it gives them the opportunity to work on other stuff. Yeah, no, R&D is a, is a huge part of, of the, the beer industry, the craft beer industry, and a fun part of it, too. I mean, that's, yes. you, you just talked about, like, the, the, the unicorn experience I think a lot of people would love to have, walking into a brewery and getting to try the stuff that just isn't out there yet, that they're just kind of working on, you know? That's right. super cool. Right. And, yeah, and to Goose yeah. Island's credit, so they, they used the sale to offload 312 Urban Wheat Ale and Goose Island IPA. Um which, you know, to, to be frank, those beers aren't as good, I think, being coming out of the Anheuser-Busch breweries. But they, sure. by offloading that production, they were able to do more experimental and small batch stuff. And um, and there's a lot of neat stuff coming out of that. And, yeah, a lot of breweries are, are doing that kind of thing. Have You know, they're all, everyone's trying to figure out what's next. It's so competitive now, you know. Um, and everyone's just trying to sort of push the boundaries and what, what can we do to, to – that's – makes us different you know and what can we do well i know that with the tribune you 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 cover restaurants bars uh beer and food but when you look at the beer industry have you ever found in any business a group of people that always they all seem to want everybody to succeed yeah there is there is truly a lot of camaraderie in the beer industry it really is cool you talked about skeleton key they were hit really hard by a tornado what a couple months right. ago now right um and like there were breweries just stepping up left and right to help them out, you know, and they're truly, I mean, you know, people are competitors at, at the highest level probably does. You're not going to see revolution and goose Island helping each other out a whole lot. Probably sure. you know, they're like sure. sort of battling for supremacy, but right. you know, you, you come down from, from that level of where things are, there truly is a lot of camaraderie and a lot of rooting for each other. Cause these are, they're small businesses. They're, you know, owned by small business owners and, and families, you know, um, yeah. and there, there really is a nice sort of uh, collegiate uh, atmosphere in the whole thing. You had a, um, you had a great post a little bit earlier at the end of July. I'll get to that in a second. But when you talk about revolution and we're talking about Bourbon County and Black Friday the day after, there's a lot of beer drinkers in the Chicago area that, that look for revolutions, barrel age releases, 
as mm -hmm. much, if not more, than Bourbon County, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's been one interesting development over the last five or so years is that Goose Island was the barrel aging brewery in Chicago. <clears throat> Revolution was started by a former Goose Island brewer, a guy named Josh Deeth. And Josh was pretty upfront about, we want to become the beer of Chicago. And Revolution started right about the time that Goose sold to Anheuser-Busch. And he sensed an opportunity there. And I think he was right. Um, and Revolution didn't, you know, they sort of didn't have a whole lot of a barrel aging program to speak of for a while. And then they tried to really ramp it up. And the first year, it was really not that good. Uh, and then I think it was sort of the second year that they were all in, which I'm just sort of ballparking here at this point. But it's probably 2016, maybe 2015, okay. something like that. And that year was like, whoa, these guys are starting to figure it out. And now, pound for pound, Revolution is a... I really don't think it's it's overstating it to say that they are a world-class uh, barrel-aging brewery at this point. They put out just a ton of good stuff. And I, I think when I spoke earlier about how Goose Island sort of had a, a few down years when they were following, I, that was right as sort of, they were sort of trending down and Rev was trending up. And... You know, this is just me completely projecting, but I almost wonder if Revolution starting to dial in their program so much forced Goose Island to sort of re-examine what is it that we do well sure. and and up its game. And I, I feel like Goose has had a – this year will be very telling. And I, I'm, I hope it's great stuff because you know what? Chicago's already arguably the greatest beer-drinking city in the country. We've got more breweries than any other city. Uh, and we win a ton of medals, not that that's everything, but it is indicative of something. And, you know, you just go out and you taste what's out there. There's a ton of great beer. Uh, Chicago's already one of the, if not the best beer drinking city in the country. And if we have two world-class barrel aging programs in this town, um, then all the better. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that Goose does nail it again this year. And if there's this sort of quiet rivalry between Goose and Rev, and their barrel-aged beers, great, because you know who the winner is? You and me and all the beer yes. drinkers out there. Yes. Okay, if if we went to, if I went to Google or something and said, who who created the phrase pastry stouts, would it be you? No, no, I, I cannot <laughs> take that credit. So I actually never knew where it came from, but I believe it is a beer blogger in, I think he's in L.A. He's very big amongst the... Uh, the beer nerds, his handle is don't drink beer. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's on, his big thing is Instagram. He's on Twitter too. He's probably on Facebook that I have no idea, but Instagram is his big thing. Um, but he also does have a Twitter presence and he does these very uh, snarky kind of funny beer reviews. He's a very, he's, I think he's a lawyer, uh, okay. and a comedian. He's I've never met him. He sounds like an interesting dude. Um, yeah. And my understanding is that he's the one who came up with pastry, the, the, the term pastry stout. And for those who don't know, a pastry stout is, which was a really, I thought, unfortunate trend. These barrel-aged stouts <laughs> getting crammed with just sugary ingredients like, you know, right. vanilla and chocolate and maple syrup and marshmallows and who knows, you know. Sure. And so he or someone came up with pastry stout, which is pretty good, you know, rolls off the tongue, let's say that. It does. There's no doubt about it. A um, couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I had uh, Jude from um, Hot Butcher on. And Hot Butcher, 
after brewing a lot of their stuff at Miskatonic here in Darien, I'm in Downers Grove, um, are going to buy what Half Acres Original Place. Um, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on that? Because they've never had a their own tap room, their own facility and things like that. They've all brewed somewhere else. Now they're working on built on, uh, you know, their own place. Yeah, I think it was. Um, so I actually I was uh, I got a call from the founder of Half Acre back in. I don't even remember at this point, March or April, May, somewhere in there. Um, and he told me that this was going to happen and asked if I wanted to write it. And if I you know, we sort of talked about how it would come to be. But when he told me there was just this sort of, wow, that makes all the sense in the world moment. And I think a lot of other people, when they found out, had that same reaction. So I wrote the story in the Tribune. Uh, probably we published, I think it was late May, I want to say. Um, and I sort of told the story of Half Acre and the story of Hop Butcher. And there's this really sort of neat symmetry between the two. Um, as Half Acre's founder said, if he said, you know, if we had just put a for sale sign up in the window, we probably could have gotten a lot more money for the place. But sure. we wanted this brewery to go to sort of like-minded people we really uh, respect and like their beer and who can sort of carry the torch of the space. Um, and that it, and it, it's sincere. I mean, when he says that, I, I completely believe him. Um, so I think it's really cool that, you know, Half Acre was an, an early hop forward brewery in Chicago. And then Hop Butcher sort of took what Half Acre did and did the next generation of it. So the fact that they're taking over that half acre space is, I think, really neat. It made for a really interesting story to tell. Um, and, you know, Hop Butcher has built just something really remarkable for never having had a brewery of their own. As you say, they've worked out of Miskatonic, which is another, I think, really good brewery. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, Hop, Hop Butcher, they've got cool cans and they make cool beers and they do them well. Uh, they're good guys and it'll just, it's sort of neat to see them take that next step and half acres so big. Now they wanted to consolidate down to one location instead of having two, which are, you know, less than two miles apart. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, I think good for half acre, good for hop butcher. And it'll be really neat to see hop butcher take that. They're, they're sort of going, uh, you know, to, 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 uh, nod to the other half of your uh, show here. They're going from double A AA to triple A. Let's sure. Say. And, and sure. half acres, half acres in the bigs. Oh, there's no doubt. And the, the funny thing is, though, that every single week, and you know this too, but every week, Hop Butcher has another beer. Every or Thursday, two. there's yeah, right. They have two yeah. beers every week. I got some in my fridge because you can't drink them fast enough. <laughs> um, so. My question is, and I asked you that, I go, what are you going to, are you going to have one that's going to be a, you know, a stable, you know, that's there all the time, or are you going to keep doing this? Because it's difficult because you got Fat Bear, you got, I mean, they've got, I asked him how many, he said it's like close to 200 different beers they've had over mm -hmm. the years. And when you open a tap room, you're going to get people coming in wanting to taste one thing and next week it won't be there so i'm wondering how that's going to work when they when they do will get this and then open it up he said so that's an, an interesting development also is you know 10 years ago when you opened your brewery you had your flagship beer you know yes. it was a, that's the word, a, a that's the word i was looking for i was looking for a flagship yes. yes and and hop butcher what is that generation of breweries looks like you're putting a pretty good dent in that vanilla rhino glad i could spur you on yeah i am uh, Hop Butcher is part of that generation of breweries that 
where they, that is sort of turned away from flagships. Um, because yeah, people, beer drinkers are really into what's, what's new, what's next. I want to try it. I want to try it. Um, I, what did he tell you? Cause he told me that they were going to stick with that model of just new stuff right. every week and no flagship. He said the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they wind up changing their tune on that at some point, but you yeah. know, they're just going to wait into it and see and experiment and it, it'll be fun to watch. Well, here, and by the way. And I know you've been to this place since I missed you by a week. But right. this is my favorite glass every week. I drink out of my Showboat Saloon glass from Wisconsin Dells. And if you're ever in the Dells, you've got to stop there. I know you have. But they, rules. Oh, my God. Jesse, the guy that runs it, he tells me, he goes, if you're coming up, let me know. I got stuff in my basement that I'll bring up for you. Because they were the first people that I ever tasted. Um, oh, uh, Pseudo Sue. All of this, the Toppling Goliath beers, they yep. had them before they were in Chicago. Yep. And I had had them up there before they even got here. And uh, he's always got a great selection of beers. He's got deals with different people. And it's a wonderful place. Every time I go there, I, it's like, I just tell people, drop me off, come get me like four hours. Yeah. You enjoy the water need... park. I'll, I'll be here with. Uh, yes. Yeah. In my spot, it's a great yeah. place. And I know you have kids. That's why you're up there. I'm up there without kids. So I'm. I'm at Showboat Saloon all the time. Here's the here's the, the the tweet I found from you, which I thought was hilarious, because I looked at it and I said, "What the hell is he talking about?" And then I realized what date it was. On the day of the baseball trading deadline on July 30th, you said, "Breaking news: Half Acre trading Bodum to Dovetail for Hellas and Barrel Aged uh, uh, Rock Double Box." Yeah. yeah, and you got major intra-city swap completely changes fortunes of both breweries, fills a hole in both portfolios, plenty of upside all around, more to come, going to need a minute to process this one. And you got 151 likes on that. And I'm just, I'm, I read it the first time. I go, what the, and I go, oh, crap. That was at the trading deadline. That was awesome. That Because Bodum, Bodum is an unbelievable beer. People that haven't tried it, Half Acres Bodum is one of my, They've always had people always ask me, what's your go to? I said, well, usually my go to is years ago, it used to be Fat Tire. Then it was, um, oh, what the hell was it? Again, 13.6. Um, Doing a so, job. But Bodum is the first time I had it. I said, this is amazing. And it's a great beer. So when I saw that, I said, how could they? And then I realized it was just a trade deadline thing. But that was cool. Did you get a lot of response on that otherwise? Yeah, decent amount. I mean, I'm, yeah. so I'm a Cubs fan from way back. I grew up around Wrigley. I mean, I would walk to games when they were terrible, you know, like back in the 80s. Um, and I was sort of came of age and with those Ryan Sandberg, you know, sure. Bernier, Sarge oh, Matthews, yeah. Ron Say, like that team. Um, so, yeah, it was the trade deadline. And, uh, you know, on that last day, the Cubs traded Bryant and Javi and Rizzo the day before. The Sox. Yeah. So I just sort of riffed on that a little bit. And it was, I think it's probably the Kimbrel to the White Sox deal that really sparked that joke of a tweet. But I actually did think about it because Dovetail makes no hoppy beers, really. Right. Like classically, you know, hoppy beers. And, uh, and their Dovetail's Hellas is, a, is I love that beer. Yeah. Um, and, you great. know, that would fill a nice little hole in the half acre portfolio. So I actually did put in like, <laughs> 40 seconds of thought. But yeah, that was just a silly nod to the trading deadline. But some people who clearly are not sports fans, like one person wrote, 
you can do that? <laughs> I felt bad, but that's good. Most, most people got it. Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, I had a couple other things. I, I looked really quickly on your Twitter, and you mentioned that Temperance Beer has a basement party at American Lager. Now, I'm out here, and Goldfinger opened up, and Thomas Beckman for, or Beckerman from uh, Goldfinger, he came, he went to, um, it's a family thing from Poland, okay? And they have some of their recipes. He has different, um, all kinds of different things, but he makes a lot of lagers and pilsners. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people making lagers now, which I have been told years ago by the guys at Goose Island how difficult it is to make lagers because especially for Miller and, and Bud, they've got to be the same every single time. And that's mm -hmm. difficult to do where craft beers, they can make one, get rid of the, get rid of that tank and go elsewhere. But at Goldfinger, they make their, their lager, their Pilsners. They made a Polish Pilsner lately. Have you seen more, a lot more lagers and has it surprised you? I think there is something of a lager trend going on, honestly. Um, 10, 12 years ago, those were complete afterthoughts. It was all about your next hoppy yeah. beer and trying to get your barrel age program off the ground. Um, and craft has sort of come back to sort of balanced, easy drinking refreshment. It's kind of the thing that craft beer was sort of a reaction to initially, right. you know, because that what I just described back in the day would be Coors and Miller and Bud. Um, but, you know, those beers are huge for a reason. And, yeah, the, the craft industry, some of these smaller breweries are just making some just absolutely killer lagers right now. And yeah. you see breweries like Goldfinger and Metropolitan and Dovetail that are really leaning hard into lagers. Like that's sort of their whole reason for being, yeah. you know. What I've been told that one of these days I got to do the Dovetail and Beguile because they're like, what, a block, block or two away. That's that's a great afternoon right there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you also mentioned that New Belgium, their voodoo IPAs are accounting for more than two-thirds of their brewery sales. And I mentioned Fat Tire earlier. Does that surprise you, or is it just because of the IPA craze? Well, I think I, that's the reason. I, I, what I am surprised by is the fact that uh, New Belgium was able to sort of reinvent itself in that way. I mean, Fat Tire is still a big brand. Um, right. They sell a lot of Fat Tire, but it it has gone from their flagship to now less than twenty percent of their sales, their production. Um, and this, and, and they're, they're much more of an IPA brewery at this point, which, you know, again, five years ago, 10, especially 10 years ago was just unthinkable for them. Uh, I'm a little surprised, honestly, cause I never thought their IPAs were that memorable and I don't think the brand is really all that good. I've just, I, I agree. Just, I, I really like about the voodoo series particularly, uh, so add that on top. That's just one man's opinion. Yeah, um, sure. But, you know, add that on top. And it's like, yeah, I'm surprised that, that that they have successfully reinvented themselves. But good for them. Yeah. And by the way, fat tire still. I, I was at the brewery a couple of years ago, and I had a fresh fat tire on draft. It was delicious. It and is. That's, that's a good beer. It's a real good beer. Um, Boston Beer Company and PepsiCo creating a business collaboration to produce hard Mountain Dew. Speaking of a brewery reinventing itself, uh -huh. uh, so yeah, Boston Beer was Sam Adams. I mean, that was right. the 
that was the company was sad at Sam Adams, Boston lager. And now they're doing stuff like helping to create hard Mountain Dew. And even more than that, they are truly hard seltzer. They are basically there are at this point, they're a hard seltzer company that also makes beer. They they've always been early on innovation uh, and good for them. Cause if they were just Sam Adams, Boston lager, they'd be screwed. Uh, yeah. Cause that beer just doesn't resonate like it did, but you know, it does resonate is truly hard seltzer. So good Boston beer figured it out just like new Belgium figured it out. Has it surprised you all the seltzers are out there cause they're everywhere. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my career, you know, of writing about these kinds of things. Seltzer just took off in a way that no one saw coming, really. Um, There's some evidence to think that it's, it's still growing, but I mean, the growth the last couple of years, few years has been astronomical, like no end in sight growth. And there's some signs that the growth is slowing and it's starting to sort of find where it's going to settle in because it'll settle in at some point. They'll be, they'll be the next thing, you know? Uh, yeah. But for now, yeah, seltzer's still taking off. People love their white claw and they're truly, and all these craft breweries are trying to get into it. And these little craft seltzer makers are trying to get in. And it's still a pretty much a free for all at this point, but um, it, you know, at some point it'll settle in, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's bonkers what's happened with, with it seltzer. Is. And I, I think I, most of them are pretty bad personally. Yeah, I can't. I don't drink regular seltzer water, so I can't drink any of that stuff. Um, the slushies are bothering me too. I the slushies have gone crazy all of a sudden. I don't know. I don't get that. Slushy beers, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually haven't. I I tried one, like one of probably the first ones out there, and thought it was. I mean, I offensive almost. I mean, it was just. It was like, <laughs> sure. Is, this is what is this? I know, but you know, I don't know. People like it. I I, I need to revisit them. And see, right. if, see if I can understand them. Yeah, it's whatever people like. So I know on a daily basis, I've read a lot of your stuff. And a lot of your stuff in the Tribune right now is all about a lot of the restaurants, bars, breweries require, require huh, again, 13. 13.4, baby. Right, yeah. Requ- requiring masks. And that's going to be the story for, uh, for a little while, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh... You know, there was a, that little six-week window where it sort of felt like we were past the worst of it, and sure. uh, we are no longer past the worst of it. And it's you know, places are going back to masks. There, uh, there, uh, some places are are asking for proof of vaccination. Yeah. Um, there's you know, there's no one. It, some places are doing sort of interesting hybrids where. If you want to sit inside, you got to show proof of vaccination, but outside you don't. Or if you want to sit at the bar, you got to show proof of vaccination because they're trying to protect their bartenders. Because obviously at the bar, you're close, you know. So people are just trying different things right now. Um, I'm not necessarily an optimist by by trade. Um, (laughs) And last fall and winter were really hard. Um, So I'm guessing that this is that this fall and winter will not be a whole lot easier than they are at this moment. Uh, especially as if a lot of people aren't getting vaccinated. Um, and it could be a, another long fall and winter for uh, for bars and restaurants and, and breweries. But there is but there, there is the vaccine. So there is that difference, you know. So right. it is going to be a safer, hopefully less winter of, of less illness, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I had- it's going to be tricky for as these businesses try to sort of figure it all out. 
Yeah, it is. One of these days, you and I got to just sit around, be it at Showboat Saloon or somewhere on the north side. Or somewhere we're, closer to home. <laughs> exactly, somewhere closer to home. Showboat Saloon is awesome, though. I mean, every oh, time yeah. I go there, I have a great time. So, Josh, appreciate it as always. Is there anything else you're not doing or follow up or what? Do you, are you doing anything on any other books? Uh, I am actually working on another one. It's real slow going. As you said, those two kids that you mentioned before uh, <laughs> yes. are a hindrance there. It's not about the beer industry, but I'm still I'm reporting it and trying to work it out. But hopefully, what is this, 2021? Yes. Let's say hopefully a new book in 2023. We'll see. There you go. Well, we'll definitely have you on before that. I appreciate you for jumping on. I appreciate it all the time. Thanks a lot. Anytime. Nice chat with you, Fred. You too, as always. Josh Noel, read him in the Tribune. He does great stuff, talking a lot about restaurants, bars, food, beer, and definitely beer. You can tell his love for beer. And again, the book, if you have not read the book, it's an awesome read, uh, Barrel-Aged Stouts and Selling Out. And um, Josh Noel does it. It's a great book. He Right after he put the book out, he did a little tour and he stopped at breweries and talked to people and read some parts of the book. And it was great. We had a great time. Loved it. I know I saw him at uh, Buckle Down Brewing. And I have a wonderful picture with me, him, and uh, Vicki Reed. Maybe I'll post that a little bit later on. Uh, real quickly, if we have time, I'd like to do a quick What's Up Fred's Can. Well, maybe it's just because you're ugly. Ugly? <laughs> You gotta be kidding me. Oh, come on! Time for What's Up Fred's Can on 1252 Sports Chicago. How in God's name can the NFL teams charge the same money for preseason games as they do for the regular season games? Now, if I'm wrong, let me know. You can get to me, put it on Facebook. You can put it on Twitter at Fred underscore Hubner. Whatever you want to do. Get to me if, in fact, you know that they've charged less for preseason games. But how can anybody want you to pay the same amount of money for preseason football as they do for the regular season? And they have three preseason games. I know I talked about this last week. There's no reason for them to have any more than two, and even two's pushing it, in my opinion. They should just have practices, practice with the other teams, have scrimmages, do other things, get ready for the season, like college football teams. And I was working with Brian Hanley on ESPN 1000 on Saturday. We usually work on Saturday mornings. We'll be on Saturday at 9 o'clock this week. And he mentioned that college teams have their preseason when Ohio State plays Appalachian State. Not when Michigan plays Appalachian State because Appalachian State beat Michigan. But when other those big college teams play smaller college teams and the smaller college teams get big money for the attendance and everything else. But still, that's not an exhibition game. It's not a preseason game. Um, I don't know that the NFL needs preseason, but I think they'll only cut it down to two. They'll have 18 regular season and two preseason games. That's probably what they'll end up doing. And uh, we'll see what happens. White Sox already trailing. Dallas Keuchel. Oh. He's struggling. He bothers me. And uh, we'll talk more about that maybe next week, okay? Uh, thanks a lot for tuning in. Don't forget, if you get a chance, check out. make sure you check out Josh Noel in uh, the Tribune. He writes on uh, restaurants, bars, beer, food, 
Also, all the guys on the 1252 Sports Chicago Network, uh, check out Fat Mike Sports Show. Fat Mike's about to get married. Woo! Um, also, the uh, Grobstein and Schuster Express and Sunday morning. If you're a fantasy fat guy, you've got to check us out on 1252 Sports because they have the best, the world's best fantasy show on a Sunday morning. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Twitch.tv and on Spotify. And they do a great job getting you ready for the uh, regular NFL season. It starts on, uh, let's see, uh, 12th, 8th. The, I think September 8th is the Thursday night game. So uh, thanks for jumping on in. I've enjoyed every single bit of this Bourbon County vanilla rye. It tastes very good. There's uh, no loss in flavor, even though it says five years. Um, we're at seven years. It's very tasty. As you can tell, I'm maybe slurring a word or two here and there. So thanks for jumping on in. We appreciate it. We'll see you again next week here on Hubes Views and Brews on the 1252 Network.